We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abulas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They'll talk about topics like the state of boxing and Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out Tuesday and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesday. Now, let's start the show. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to scored a touchdown at every red zone possession, six for six. They allowed, they had zero turnovers and allowed zero sacks. The last team to do that, what I just described, the 16-0 Patriots in 2007. That's how dominant it was. And this was against a really, really good Bills team. If you did a blind item about which one of these teams came out flat, turned it over, had bad penalties, couldn't line up right, of course, you're going to say it's the Titans. They haven't played a game in 16 days. They've had their integrity question. Their whole organization's been shut down. No, it was the Bills. The Titans were locked in, and I personally think that they played mad. I think they played pissed off, and it showed. They absolutely walloped what I think was the top five Buffalo Bills team. The game was never close, not even as close as the score says. 42 points. You know how you get 42? Six touchdowns. An absolute demolition by the Tennessee Titans. Top five most impressive win all season by anybody. Good Good evening and welcome to the Rockpile Report. You are joining your producer, Chris Kruger, and as always, joined by my life partner and host, Drew Gear. Drew, we can uh, immediately jump into this negative game that we had to watch, but we got to start with some positives. We start with our boy, friend of the show, friend of you and I, Reed Ferguson. Our boy, Reed Ferguson, going to be a dad. Hell yeah. Congratulations to Reed Ferguson announced that he and his wife are expecting. Chris, everyone you know, 
everyone you know now has kids. Except for me. Looks like I won. <laughs> oh, okay. big shout out to Reed. Congratulations to him and his wife. They're, they're great people. I'm so happy for them. I mean, this is... I'll tell you this. Being a father, you saw it last night. Jack has become an anchor for me. Yeah, you're calm and I don't like it. <laughs> Composure. Thy name is Jack Gear. But we do need to make some Seagram's bets on this baby. Oh, obviously. I mean, what else? I mean, a friend's pregnancy? Yeah. What, I ha- perfect I, opportunity. I have I have a list of things. I, I have it broken down. Like, I'll give you the option if you want. You think it's going to be a boy or a girl. Because I have it listed out if it's going to be... If you think it's going to be a boy or a girl, I'll go the opposite and I'll give you my stats. Wow. Yeah. I thought this through long and hard. All right. I'm going to go, you know what, Reed is such a, Reed's such an old soul, and he just strikes me as such a gentle guy, despite the fact that he plays NFL football. I mean, he has a curse. I feel like he's going to have a daughter. All right. I'll go the opposite and say that he'll have a boy. Not only a boy, he's gonna, the boy's name will be Lincoln, born April 23rd, in the AM, 10 pounds, 3 ounces, 23 inches long. Now, please tell me how you came came to these. First of all, that's my birthday, so that would be cool. That's why I picked it. Ah, okay. That's why I went, boy, same day as you. Girl, I had girl born April 27th. Lincoln. Why Lincoln? B- because they are old Southerners, and I think the trend for s- Southern people is to give the baby a last name as a first name. I 100% believe that that's the route they're going for. Last name as a first name. Something like Lincoln... <laughs> Beckett, Bennett, something that's predominantly a last name, it's going to be the baby's first name. Guarantee it. Folks, I think this is pure lunacy. For any of you any of you out there who think that people don't do that from the South, like that, that's not a Southern thing. That sounds like, I don't know what that is. That is a Southern is thing. Is this a real thing? Tweet at us, at Rock Power Report. Let us hear it. Oh, Chris, you brought a smile to my face to start this. I am a little bit under the weather. Yeah, you were you having... Handled you handled the intro to the show with aplomb. Yeah, like you're, uh, who you're running against for uh, whatever. The, the, the fate of the country rests in people's hands. For those of you who don't know, go to our Twitter and find out between myself and Cover One's Greg Thompson. And hashtag vote gear. Uh, Chris, I suppose we got to do this, right? Like a mandate? Yeah, just rip it off. <laughs> Here comes our week five recap, everybody. Open a fresh one. The Buffalo Bills fall as the Titans win 42, Buffalo Bills 17. Now, that beer I cracked. Every year, the Buffalo Bills, we talk, we, on this show, we talk about the Buffalo Bills hype bus. We do it every year. Yeah. And every year, we come out of the, we, we come out of the gates hot. Hot. And I, Chris, can you, would you say that this year, the, the hype bus might be the most full it's ever been? Yes, it has. Okay. It's prob going four zero. It was probably moving at a pretty reckless pace. Yeah, like Keanu Reeves and speed. I'll tell you this: after a game like today, I think we need to check in on how the Bills' hype bus is doing. There's a cliff, and your family screaming. Oh my God, we're burning alive! 
No, I can't feel my legs. It comes a meat wagon. And the medic gets out and says, oh my God. Oh my God, indeed. Here's your stats of the game. Quarterback Josh Allen, 26 of 41 for 63%, his lowest of the season. 26 point, 263 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, and a 77.6 QBR. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill, 21 of 28 for 75%, 195 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers, and a 129.3 QBR. Total yardage, Tennessee, 334. Buffalo, 370. Time of possession, Tennessee, 27 minutes and 36 seconds. Buffalo, 32 minutes and 24 seconds. Ryan Tannehill in 2020 entered week five with just three passes of 15 yards, something that came up on this podcast during our preview of this game. Last night, three passes of 15 or more yards. He was one of three with a touchdown. But he was 11 of 11 with a sing- with a touchdown on passes 0 to 6 air yards. 11 of 11 for a touchdown. 0 to 6 yards. Derrick Henry had 3 yards per carry, 63 total yards, and just 2 runs of more than 10. None longer than 15. The Titans on third down had a 76.5% conversion rate, which is lunacy. Buffalo Bills penalties, eight pre-snap penalties, including four different wide receivers and tight ends, two penalties that directly affected our toxic differential, Diggs' shift wiping out a 23-yard Davis touchdown, and Hughes roughing the passer leads directly to a Tannehill touchdown that truly put the game out of reach. Memes provided by the Bills. One. (laughs) Chris, teams lose football games. It happens. And it happens even more often to the Buffalo Bills. Even when we were great. We haven't ever started a season 5-0 when I could legally drink. I think the last time it happened in franchise history. I mean, for fuck's sake, I couldn't get cookies on my own the last time it happened. It was 91. 91. I was still living here. (laughs) So while being undefeated was nice, I'm not going to lose my shit after a single loss. If we, if you and I were that fragile, this podcast wouldn't have survived this long. We, our fandom, wouldn't have survived this long. Nor would our friendship. (laughs) I'll tell you this. And when the Bills hype bus crashes, Chris, you and I are essentially Peter Griffin and the chicken. In terms of being able to crawl out of the wreckage and continue pushing ahead. I just... uh, I'm not thrilled about it. I'm not thrilled about anything that happened last night. And yet as we were watching the game, you kept looking over at me. Where was I on the Drew Gear meter of freakouts? I I, I think that's dependent on whether or not you were holding your child. Because I think it was slightly worse when you weren't. But then it got to... it like hurts me to say this, but it like it got to a point with like I'm just gonna play with my kid, and you're just bouncing him up on your knee. We were watching the game. I was talking to Jack about the football game. Yeah, but you were telling him all the wrong things. <laughs> you were you were telling him to like that you wanted to renege that extension we gave McDermott. 
You were like, I mean, that's you when you have a little bit of alcohol in you and you immediately take things to the en- to the nth degree. But I think to that I, over way over the edge. But I think that I did a good job of reining it in over the course of the game. And I didn't say that I would reneg that because that's nonsense. That's that's actual lunacy. A lot of which we've seen out here. Out here in these social media streets, Bills fans are at the edge of lunacy. And I don't understand it. I mean, out of this wreckage of a football game, there's a few things that stick out to me, sure. One, spare me your Josh Allen stinks. Okay, get that the hell out of my face. It's nonsense. It's malarkey, if you will. From start to finish, you watch Josh Allen. No, no, he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes, He made, but he also made some ridiculous throws. I mean, that yelled in touchdown catch in traffic. I don't even know how he saw that guy open, and he dropped the ball perfectly in his lap for a touchdown through traffic. Yeah. Would Josh Allen of 18 or 19 have made that throw? No, he wouldn't have. Perfect placement. The first down pass to Diggs on third and long with pressure in his face. N- no. That's he he did his job. I mean, he single-handedly was trying to keep our offense afloat in the first half and he was surrounded by failure by his skill positions. The, his first pass was trampoline directly to a D-back from Andre Roberts. He had five dropped passes in just the first half. Knox, he's got a tight end running around out here getting open. Like Knox is a Decepticon at this point to me. He, you think he's harmless, right up until you trust him to do something, and then what he does is he he morphs the way Transformers do, and his hands turn into frying pans, <laughs> and the ball just happens to clang off of them as you... <laughs> I would have rather taken a sack than throw it to Andre Roberts. Uh, I, right now, Dawson Knox is playing like a guy who would struggle on a D1 football team. I don't know what they're going to do with him. And I don't know what that means for our tight end position. And ultimately, there was plays being called that I can't wrap my head around. And every once in a while, the Bills give you a game. Chris, you've been a fan long enough, you know this, where you look around afterwards and wonder, what the hell just happened to me? (laughs) What did I just watch? What was the team trying to accomplish here? And then you rewatch it, albeit in a condensed capacity, and you walk away from it just as confused as you were watching it in real time. One where the game plan was almost indistinguishable, and much of what you're seeing doesn't make sense, or it flies in the face of what you would assume that a coach would know, much less the average fan or someone who watches a little bit of football here and there. I actually put this loss squarely on uh, Jeff Landers on Twitter, at Jeff Landers. He did tweet out, Yesterday morning, about how the Bills need to make this the inverse of that Saints game from two years ago. He literally spoke it into existence. Yeah, so I blame Jeff. I mean, we just had our first iteration of the what the hell game from the Buffalo Bills. I, when you look at it, Chris, because there's too much to break down individually and people are badgering. And this is what I hate. You hear fans of the team disparaging this player or that player. It's this guy's fault. It's it's because your offensive line couldn't block. It's because Deion Dawkins missed this. It's because Panhands uh, Knox can't catch this ball. Is this where we talk about you? 
when it gets too, when there's too many problems, Chris, you have to kick it up. You have to actually go up a level. To coaching? With your observations and criticisms. I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. As I'm rewatching this game and as I'm going over the stats, on offense, you watch this and you say to yourself, okay, here's a team that's hemorrhaged rushing yards. Here's a team that defensively has been terrible for the first month of the season. A couple things jump off the page to me. First of all, Devin Singletary, five rushes up the middle for five total yards. Yeldon, if you take out his late 34-yard run when the game was already pretty much firmly in the Titans' hands, he had six rushes up the middle for 14 total yards. Cole Beasley has zero first-half targets. Taiwan Jones had more than that. Chris, you remember my tweet from last night? How throwing into coverage to Taiwan Ty- Jones is the oh, equivalent yeah. of Michael Scott's film, quintessential film, Threat Level Midnight. That's <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I would never see such a little... When we cut Patrick DeMarco, I thought we were dumb throwing to... St- Throwing on ridiculous routes to players who shouldn't be on the field. You gotta have one. You gotta have one at least once a season. I hope to God that was ours. And then deep passing. Would you argue with me if I told you, Chris, that deep passing has been the bread and butter of this Buffalo Bills offense so far this season? It's the reason that we're we were second in the league in passing. Yeah, Josh has been real good on those intermediate to deep routes. He's been killing it. We had zero attempts at them in the second or third quarter. We finished the night three of nine on deep passing attempts for 49 yards, one pick, and one touchdown. Now, there's a lot to unpack from that. First of all, you know the Bills are struggling to run the ball, specifically with power. And you're going up against a team with a poor run defense this season. Their linebackers are struggling to get to the ball carrier on a regular basis, which lets teams pile up rushing yards. But instead of trying to go to the edges of the defense and force their linebackers to make plays in space, you spent more than half of your carries running directly into the teeth of the Titans' defense, knowing that one of their best run stoppers in Daquan Jones was active for the game. Does that sound like a smart idea? No. Okay. You wouldn't do that in Madden, would you? I mean, I haven't played Madden since Ray Lewis was on the cover, and I still wouldn't do it back then. Then there's the design of our passing attack. People who are worried that Dable was going to get picked up by another team should hope that this game somehow finds its way, the tape, finds its way to all 32 owners' doorsteps. That's how you That's how you stop. Remember we were talking about how do you keep Brian Dable from getting hired? Pass out the game tape from this. It's hard to understand exactly what the hell we were trying to establish. I mean... We stopped trying to go down the field when we fell behind, which seems counterintuitive when you think about what we've been good at all year, especially when you know you're trailing. I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know if it's been your bread and butter why you would get away from it. I mean, John Brown's absence clearly hurts you from a schematic standpoint, but if you're somehow so under-talented as a wide receiver core, I don't think that's the case, is it? No. Okay, you you still have a Beasley, you still have a, a Davis, yeah, you still have an Isaiah McKenzie, but you still don't you don't want to put so much on Gabe Davis's plate. I mean, he's only been in the league for what five games. This is football, so in that case, I look at the play designer and I say, okay, you mean to tell me that you lose John Brown and all of a sudden you stop being able to dial up plays down the field? That's it. That's all it takes is one player 
to go out of the lineup and your whole offense falls apart? Shows you the value of John Brown as a two. <sighs> On defense, we switch sides. I look at Frazier and I scratch my head. I saw what they were trying to do. I just don't get it. Like, that's the thing. On offense, what their offense was supposed to be coming into this game is something of a mystery because they didn't really establish anything. Everything they did failed. On defense, I saw what they wanted to do. I just don't get it. I think Allen playing so well to start the season kind of covered up the defense because, you know, we're... Oh, absolutely. We're, yeah, because, I mean, a win's a win, but, you know, when we're putting up 30-plus points and the offense is bailing out our, out our defense and then our offense comes out and has an absolute shit show like they did last night, you know, now we have we have so much focus on how bad our defense has been. Well, one of the craziest parts of this game to me was watching our defensive ends. Watching our defensive ends was a nightmare. It was a nightmare wrapped up inside of a bad dream, wrapped up inside of a visit to your mother-in-law's house. Like, it sucked. It sucked. I... <laughs> It stinks on ice. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you guys didn't get any pressure. You didn't generate any sacks. And you also didn't contain the quarterback. Chris, Tannehill had runs of 7 yards, 8 yards, and 25 yards with a touchdown. Multiple losses of contain that generally came on third down when Tannehill saw an open lane and just ran. That... uh that touchdown was super close to being a, a, a Bill Grammatica situation. <laughs> if you if you watch the replay, because I know you were you were raging. I think uh, Bruce Nolan tweeted it out about you watch that replay of Tannehill jump into the end zone. His knee almost buckled. I was praying that it would happen. Then they would have to go to their backup, whoever that might be. <sighs> I mean, it was just, that was demoralized. Those were back-breaking plays. They didn't look huge, but when you think about the drives that they extended, it mattered. Speaking of drives they extended, our red zone defense. You don't have to worry about a team going deep on you when you're in the red zone, Chris. I don't need to tell you that, or maybe I do, I don't know. The Bills gave up touchdown drives of 12 yards, 16 yards, 18 yards, and 30 yards. That's Four touchdowns. That in and of itself was 28 points of the score. All came in 30 yards or less. That's insane. How does your defense not stiffen up and stop one of these? Kyle Brandt, in the intro to tonight's show, talked about how, oh, man, the, 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 in this seemingly crazy narrative that somehow shifted, ever since people found out that the NFL wasn't going to punish the Titans... Wasn't going to punish the Titans for this nonsense. The narrative started to build that, well, now the Titans feel like they're put upon. And they're angry. And they're they're somehow the victim in this. Which is just douchebaggery at the highest level. If you think that, I, I urge you. I urge you to just take a toaster into the bathtub with you. Okay, just take it in there. Go see, see what happens. Just plug it in, see, see how it goes. There, I have pictures of me in a bathtub with a toaster. And if only, if only someone had plugged that motherfucker in. <laughs> I, I hear Kyle Brandt in the intro to tonight's show talking about how they played angry. And I take issue with that because they didn't play angry, quote unquote. They played competent football. 
If the Buffalo Bills were to get the ball on someone's 12-yard line, on someone's 18-yard line, even on the 30, you put me in the red zone from Jump Street and the Buffalo Bills don't score a touchdown, I'm going to throw something across my basement. Flip a coffee table. Oh, I'll throw something. I mean, that that's competent football. So it's not like they did. Yes, they're a more physical team, but they have been. I mean, think about the design of their team. The whole NFL has switched to this kind of light. You run with a lighter, pass-happy offense. And Mike Vrabel, like he, like the man he learned from, man he played for, Bill Belichick, Belichick constantly zigs when the rest of the league zags. Well, Vrabel has successfully zigged in the sense that he said, hey, listen, you guys are all going with these pass-happy offenses that require all these skilled wide receivers, and you, instead I'm going to build a mauling offensive line, I'm going to get a bulldozer of a running back, and we're going to try to win playing small ball, and just we're going to be more physical than you. And you watch them push the Buffalo Bills around that field. And when you're playing a more physical team, you cannot give them drive starts at the 12 or the 16 or the 18 and not expect it to end up in your end zone. Now, part of me watching that game wonders if last year's Tennessee Titan playoffs was a fluke or if that's like a real thing. They're really this good. They they know their identity. They just ran the ball down our throats. And Tannehill was only asked to accomplish what he did when he needed to. Well, and look at the physicality their wide receivers had. A.J. Brown, he ate Josh Josh Norman alive. Josh Norman, uh, that was a long night for Josh Norman out there on that island. They played man coverage. They did did, because they wanted to stop the run. So they played played man coverage in order to stop Derrick Henry. And in the process, allowed this second-year wide receiver to, uh, he took a shovel. He took a shovel to Josh Norman, Nick. Like Home Alone? <laughs> yes, exactly like Home Alone. Right in the kisser. Yeah, I've seen movies. I mean, what was I telling you all, all night? And you were even getting on me about it last night. I kept telling you, well, we're so injured, and then this is exposing the depth that we have on defense. Well, I get that. Depth is going to be a problem. And the cornerback and linebacker depth last night was badly exposed. I mean, on this podcast, we decried our linebacker depth as subpar, given the lack of actual NFL experience and playing time that any of the guys who make up that unit and in the linebacker core had coming into training. This is coming into training camp. This is pre-cuts. Nobody had experience. And then you look at our our cornerbacks and you say okay well we've got a Levi Wallace who's only ever played here we've got a Josh Norman and we've got a Trey White beyond that you've got a Teron Johnson who has only ever played here and you have nothing beyond that no NFL experience we used to have EJ Gaines (laughs) yeah but he opted out thank god but last night was a mea culpa of all of that Edmonds finally broke up a pass. Prior to last night's game, he was allowing 100% of all the targets thrown his way to be completed. Outside of that, his play was once again unremarkable. I don't notice him as a difference maker out there on the field anymore. I just don't. If he's that hurt, then he's actually more of a liability to this team than he is a boon. 
Klein finally, who had to go when Tyrell Dotson got hurt, Klein finally made a stop on third down in pass coverage. But he was also suspect. And Dotson wasn't anything special either. Then you look at our cornerbacks, and I mean, the memes that are being made right now of Josh Norman are heartbreaking. Like, if I'm that guy, I just stay off social media for a while. But that brings me to the, the those are the players, though. The coordinator is where I start to question because safety and linebacker usage. Safeties, if you were watching the game, Chris, how many times did I tell you? I don't even see the safeties on the screen. No. Okay. Because I guess they don't want anything deep. They played deep for huge portions of the first half. Meanwhile, on this podcast, my dumbass dredged up the stat that all season they'd only taken three shots down the field. What tells you, as a defensive coordinator, that a team that's only thrown three balls more than 15 yards through the air is going to try to come out and do that in spades so much that you back your safeties completely out of the box and you leave your linebackers to get picked on in this short passing game? They they just destroyed Josh Norman and Teron Johnson in coverage. because They provided gaping holes in the middle of our defense, and we were routinely exposed because our safeties were nowhere to be found. I didn't hear Poyer or Hyde's name at all in that early portion of the game. At all. I think one of them had a nice tackler on the line of scrimmage, but otherwise they were irrelevant. They are the backbone of this passing defense. That's what drives me crazy, Chris, because I don't think it's the players. Or at least it's not the players enough so that I can put the blame squarely on their shoulders and say, you didn't do your job today. When you have the two most talented people without a Trey White on the field and you don't hear their names and you don't see them near the ball and you don't hear them being involved and you can't see them, then that's not their fault. They're being put in positions to fail. And then you look at the defensive line. This, I mean, this may be the the crux of all this. The Bills have spent a ton of money. Money everywhere, yet not a sack to celebrate. You know that thing, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink? Money no. everywhere, no. Well, not a sack to cheer when, when you say money, I'm thinking of Charlie Day. Money, me. Me, a money, me. Me, a money. That's what I think. Of course you do, because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you belong in the movie, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Charlie Kelly. To say the Bills' defensive line has underachieved this season is a massive understatement, and last night might be the most glaring example of it. I was going back and forth with one of our listeners. uh, He goes by at Shoebox on Twitter. This is where the Bills have been so far this year. They're 18th versus the run. They're 15th versus the pass on defense. When you look at statistics... The Steelers are near the top of the NFL in pressures with 71. They may be the top. The Bills have approximately half of that with 33. And they've played an extra game by comparison to the Steelers. But Pittsburgh spent $20 million less on their production of the defensive line. And of course, Greg Thompson, because he's smart and has... Well, he... Remember, we had him on for the defensive line. The, yeah, and so the I season. took him to task on yeah. it. Yeah, and that was his hot take was we're going to have so many sacks and, you know, however many people are going to finish in the so, top whatever. So he stepped in and said, well, they do their defensive line differently and Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt are outside linebackers so they don't get caught up in that spending trap. And my point to him was, 
We are the most expensive defensive line in football. There's other 4-3 defenses out there. Here's a team that spent $20 million less than us, and their defensive line is freeing up playmakers to make plays on defense. Our defensive line, is they're not doing it. Not only are they not doing it, but none of them can generate pressure. And where that gets scary to me is that they're all old and expensive. The antithesis of what you think smart roster building is. They're essentially the equivalent of the Houston Texans wide receiver core. Old, expensive, and lacking a premier talent. Tonight's guest, Brett Coleman, in his video on why Bill O'Brien was fired, much to his relief as a Texans fan, talked about the 2020 Texans wide receiver core and it struck a chord with me. Because when he's talking about what Bill O'Brien did to get fired, one of the things was he traded away DeAndre Hopkins, one of his best wide receivers, and one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, period. And right now, he may be the best statistically. I have to go back and check that. He did it because, if you, if you believe Brett Coleman, his ego tricked him into thinking that he was such a good offensive coordinator and such a good mind that he could replace a star player's production with, quote-unquote, aggregate production. Contributions from a collective to replace the need for a single elite talent. Now that unit, if you followed the Texans at all, has repeatedly fallen on its face this year. And in pursuit of the building, in pursuit of building it, the Texans got older and more expensive rather than younger and more cost effective. What did I say, Chris? I don't know. Opposite of smart roster building. Yeah, I don't know why you want to have old and expensive uh, talent on wide receiver. You want to be young and inexpensive on the outside. The reason I say all of this is because I, I I have a legitimate fear that this is what we've done here on the defensive line for the Buffalo Bills. It sure as hell looked that way last night. Yes, the Titans have a physical offensive line. Just the same, we had zero pass rush. No one sniffed Tannehill for a sack. And when it looked like pressure was building, we lost contain and watched him kill us on long runs that sustained drives that ended in points. And when the D did hold Henry in check, on the whole, I'll give them credit for that. There's so many times I saw people penetrating into the backfield, and it didn't end up actually disrupting the play. Chris, how many times did I I pointed it out? There's a guy in the backfield, not going to make a play. Lots of times. You're back there, but you don't touch the running back. You're back there, but you don't get close to the quarterback. Well, then what's the point? What is the actual... What are you doing here? This group... The defensive line for the Buffalo Bills through five weeks has shown flashes of ability but can't consistently win on their own. And this staff, it's going to have to do some serious thinking as to how it's going to make them a serviceable unit if the Bills are going to contend for anything that means anything that means shit this year. Unfortunately, there were too many mistakes for any one person, place, or thing on this team to really be held accountable for them because it was such a widespread failure. And that's why this week, the zero is head coach Sean McDermott. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. The thing about games like last night's, when there's too many, when there's too many players who struggled in the given roles to specifically point to one singular performance that was more egregious than anyone else's, when both sides of the ball play a technically undisciplined and ultimately ineffective brand of football, when penalties in all three phases of the game, not to one or two, but a smorgasbord of players, 
most of them pre-snap procedural mistakes. Derail so many positive things that you're trying to accomplish. When there's simply too many fires burning to know where or how to start putting them out. The blame for that kind of performance has to be laid at the feet of the individual in charge. And in this case, that's our head coach, Sean McDermott. It is uncharacteristic for a Bills team to be caught this flat-footed. But given McDermott's repeated complaints to the media that <laughs> the terse no comment during his post-game interview, illustrating that he has them, he has some complaints, but he's not going to expand on them, almost underscores that he also understood that they're kind of left in the lurch and he wasn't happy about the way the league handled things. He wasn't happy about the way that all the problems and hurdles he had to navigate on a short timetable. And he wasn't happy about the way his team responded. Regardless of this, if you cash the checks, you got to do the job. And last night, the Bills head coach failed to have a team ready to play against a highly motivated opponent. Well, you can make any one of a dozen dozen excuses for it. And some of those excuses could hold some weight. Injury, scheduling flux, throwing off prep work and game planning. Those excuses will not matter when you come to the playoffs. Not for a team that's trying to win its first, pre, uh, its first postseason game in decades. Chris, this team has to prove that it can get up and play against guys who are highly motivated. Right? Correct. Twice in McDermott's career, we've watched our team fail. Going up against highly motivated teams in the postseason. Yeah. I'm tired of seeing this. Now, that doesn't mean that I think Sean McDermott should be fired, even though you keep saying it. I'll call your wife right now and she'll agree with me. Last night when I was complaining about Sean McDermott, my point was, I've never seen a Bills head coach get an extension and do anything good with it. And Sean McDermott has extended that in the sense that he's allowed a performance that, listen, this is what I thought you were built for. You're the prep guy. You are the guy who screams preparation, focus, and this team had none of those attributes. Yeah, he's a defensive head coach, and our defense has been the problem all season. What I'll say is this. Especially here in 2020, adversity is going to happen. McDermott needs to illustrate that he can not just rebound from this, but that he and his staff and his players can take a step forward from it. Because here's the thing, they've, they've done this. They've gone up against highly motivated opponents. They've had adversity. And in the past, they've failed. Not all the time, but there's enough of a track record there that games like this, you hope that this is the last time you see it. You hope. But he earned the zero this week. If there's a hero from any of the wreckage that we could sift through from last night, it's punter Corey Bohorquez. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. <laughs> he, Chris, he made the only play of the night for the Buffalo Bills that made me go, damn, am I glad that guy's on our team. That 70-yard punt was incredible. It's the reason the Bills keep him around. Yeah, I mean, he can... I mean, he can boom a punt, but maybe one out of ten. And that was one. That was one. Yeah. 
It was the play of the game that actually made me stand up and go, all right, all right. That tells you how bad last night went. And also, the thing I have to love is that it came immediately after he was being trashed on Twitter by Kevin Masari, which I don't know how what our listeners' relationship is with this man, but here's what I'll say. Kevin Masari has a track record. He's like me tweeting about hockey. I tweet a bad hockey opinion, and then that player will score. Yes. You've seen it, Chris. Yes, I have. Okay. He tweets about football, and he's almost immediately proven wrong a lot of the time. And the best part was him calling out Bohorquez for how bad he was at his job. And then he booms that punt, and everyone just looks at him and goes, oh, wait a minute. I mean, that tweet got 253 likes. I'm just pointing out that maybe, maybe you people should be a little bit slower with the trigger finger on that, because, eh. <laughs> and I'm going to give an honorable mention here to Josh Allen. You know, looking after the game, I mean, obviously now it's gone viral, but Josh Allen in the, in the aftermath of this, as time was winding down, Matt Barkley's out there. I had already turned it off. I'll be honest with you. Josh Allen is walking down the bench, shaking everyone's hand and dapping them up, making a little small talk with them, player to player to player, going throughout the down the bench, making sure to get a second or two of FaceTime with everybody. They asked him about it in his post-game press conference, and he said, he's like, look, I, I get it. I'm the guy. You don't ever want guys to walk away from these situations with their head down. That's a leader, Chris. 100%. And my favorite was... I saw the the videos on Twitter of it. My favorite was the woman in the press conference, I forget her name and I apologize, who asked him, I saw you pause by Tremaine Edmonds and the two of you look like you had a, a real conversation there. What were you talking about? What did you say to Tremaine? And he, listen, leader. And who has he learned from? Coach Ambien. He said, well, I'm not going to get into what he and I talked about other than he and I both understand that we got to go out there and have one hell of a week of practice. He and I have to get out there and we have to go make sure that we're solid this week. Now, Chris, do you think that that's what he said? No. <laughs> no. But I like the it's fact... something we'll never know. Captain of the defense, captain of the offense. You get together and you have a head-to-head and you say... Well, you're man. only... Well... Mm, you are missing the captain in the special teams. You get the hell out of here. You can't, you can't have that conversation, captain of offense, captain of the defense, without having the captain in the special teams there. Jesus. Come on. You can, and they will. Our final thoughts, Chris. What did you walk away from that game feeling? We lack depth. That's it. That's what I walked with. We lack depth on defense. The injuries are Explain it. No, we're injured. Milano's not there. Edmonds is not playing 100%. Trey White didn't play. We're paying a buttload of money to that defensive line, and they're not getting pressure. And even going back to the the summer leading to that linebacker show that we did, you know, that was the one position where we thought we lacked a whole bunch of depth was linebacker, and it seems to be showing. We have no depth. I go in opposite direction. I'm going to say to everybody out there, deep breath. No, we say goose fraba. 
Goosefraba. Doesn't that feel nice? Yeah. Just getting it out there. The angry sharks are still... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's who I am on game day, Chris. But today, it's Goosefraba. There's the lunatic fringe of this team that's bemoaning the... Chris, they're already ready to punt on the whole season. It's over. You were ready to punt on the season last night. Don't even start. See, this is where you get me wrong, Chris, and you don't understand what it is. You've been to enough games with me and you haven't seen it yet. You still don't know. There's guys out there like Bill Paxson. I see him on Twitter. Like it's the movie Aliens and they're Bill Paxson. Or Lake Placid. Game over, man. Game over. It's done. We're, we're screwed. I know I just trashed Sean McDermott. But then again, more so than any other Bills coach, McDermott has given us reason to believe that if there's a rebound to be found here, he's the man to do it. Think about it. He rebounded after that. Her- Mom, my cold is really getting in the way of this. I, I'm just a mush. You need mouth- a hot toddy? I'm a mushmouth hack over here. No, because I don't interfere with my beer count. Like, yeah, I'm not letting you <laughs> sucker me out of it that quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. You think about this, Chris. He rebounds after that horrific three-game stretch in 2017. Where we literally thought the sky was falling. We thought we were talking about the Ryan Fitzpatrick collapse. Yeah. During that stretch of games. He took ownership of the Peterman decision that could have derailed most seasons and would have probably fractured a lot of NFL locker rooms. And yet he took ownership of it, somehow got his hands around it, and got this team to a point where they were ready to go out and fight again against Kansas City, oddly enough on the road, go into their house and steal a victory. He rebounded last year from a bad loss to the Ravens to clinch a a playoff berth on primetime TV against Pittsburgh on the road. Hostile territory. I think about last night and I listen to the post-game comments from McDermott. And yes, while I'm frustrated over coach speak, two things stood out to me. First of all, he immediately takes personal accountability of the situation. And then, when he was asked about a defensive performance by multiple reporters, McDermott, this is how he went about explaining it. He said it wasn't good enough, and that everyone to a man, from the coaches, to the players, they're all going to have to look at the tape, look at their game plan, and then look at themselves in the mirror and find answers to fix it. That last piece, the last time McDermott made a statement like that was after the Bills lost to the Browns last year. You remember that, Chris? I remember watching you watch that game. He essentially mandated that our offense was going to improve. And they did. The following week, they blew out the Miami Dolphins. They started incorporating more concepts into their offense. The 2019 Miami Dolphins. What are you going to do? They found their identity, though. And that that mandate spurred something of a winning streak. Or at least a hot streak by our offense. It, you saw our offense starting to open the bag of tricks more. You saw Dable becoming more creative. I'll say this. He sounded the same way in the aftermath of last night's game about our defense. And I'm sure he was much more pointed behind closed doors. 
So with that in mind, I don't doubt that we're going to get one hell of an effort from Sean McDermott and his defense in the next five days to show us that as coordinators, they have the ability to unlock the potential of our defensive line. They, they have an ability to call a cohesive game plan for our secondary. And then as a head coach, his team is willing to dig deep, overcome some adversity, and prove that they're still that quote-unquote playoff caliber team that he's constantly ascribing to. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE all one word bet online you are online sportsbook experts all right and now that this is our first loss of the season chris we finally get to do this segment the people who have it worse i mean we are the pettiest bills podcast and as such we like to celebrate the people who have it worse than bills fans week five edition you are one pathetic loser i'm going to start off with anybody who bought a jets Le'Veon bell jersey <laughs> Chris, we need to lighten the mood here. In 2019, Le'Veon Bell's jersey was the 34th in the NFL for jersey sales. That's ahead of Travis Kelsey. That's ahead of Jamal Adams. That's how excited people were to have a, a quote-unquote elite running back on their team. If only the coach was as excited. <laughs> So you know that this morning, with the news breaking last night during halftime of the Bills game, that Le'Veon Bell's been released, there's a whole lot of people dreading even opening their closets and seeing what is their latest reminder that the football gods hate them, want them to suffer, and that they spend their money on a lot of dumb shit. What's the last jersey you bought that you regretted? Uh, I didn't actually buy it, but because... If you guys don't know, I'm more Sabres than I am Bills. This is this might have been like fifteen years ago, like oh five, oh six, oh six, oh seven, when we were good. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, 
knew what that I like jerseys, and she was like, "Well, what player would do you want?" And I didn't exactly give her a name of who I wanted. <laughs> oh no! Uh, but I did say like, "Yeah, it'd be everybody gets top six forwards." I go, "Give me somebody in the bottom six. So for <laughs> for Valentine's Day, I open up this box and I get a Yuri Novotny jersey. <laughs> Who is only happens to be traded two weeks later to Washington, and then to be never seen again in the NHL? <laughs> I have a, I have, I have a Yuri Novotny Sabers jersey slug logo in my closet. That's literally how everyone here in this Jets fan base must feel. Yeah, we had him here. He he was a future Hall of Fame, a potential Hall of Fame player. We bought his jersey, and he it's almost like he wasn't here. He, he came and went like a fart. I, folks, we're going to delve into this topic so much more in our AFC's Roundup podcast. It should be dropping shortly after this one. Rest assured, the Schadenfreude is real, because <laughs> I love this way too much. Meanwhile, for all the people who doled out their hard-earned cash for the jersey of a guy who played less than 20 games for the team, I don't feel sorry for you. Don't buy jerseys. Or if you do, get them from China. Yes, maybe I'm maybe I'm promoting bootlegging. Eh. <laughs> so what? The next on my list is Jerry Jones. Imagine running your football team as if every single year you think you could win a Super Bowl, and every single year having the football gods hand you an emphatic no. They just hand you a sheet of paper and you open it and it just says no in giant red letters. I give you Jerry Jones. <laughs> Usually Jerry has to wait until week 10 or 11 to find out that his team isn't winning anything significant. Here in 2020, we're five weeks in. I feel like it's a foregone conclusion. What? No left tackle. Your star left tackle, he's out. Nope. Uh, you, you've lost multiple defensive players to injury. Yep. You lost your starting quarterback for the year. And now, your future is tied to Andy Dalton, who has a career playoff win percentage of 0.0. It's impressive. <laughs> you couldn't script this, folks. But it's almost the fate Jerry Jones deserves. Don't you think, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> and then, Chargers kicker Michael Badgley. Most of you probably don't even know who he is. Listen, kickers miss kicks. That's a thing that happens in the NFL. It's a little bit tougher to swallow when your kick is a makeable one that you firmly plant off the face of an upright that forces your team into overtime in a game you eventually lose. And it's even more damning when your self-imposed nickname is, I put it in quotes, the money badger. That's right. There's an adult man somewhere out there in the world non-ironically referring to himself as the Money Badger. He loves it so much, he trademarked it, Chris. Have you trademarked Magilla Gorilla? No, because it's already trademarked, because that's a real thing. That's a thing that was made famous by a cartoon. I didn't know that. Also, I thought you a, invented it. No, it's just a mean nickname my cousins gave me, because my arms are abnormally long for my height. Chris, the hubris that goes along with referring to yourself, the kicker on a team, you're probably only a few years in the league, the money badger, and you trademarked it. 
to me, that's like when you see someone driving around with an aggressive vanity plate like Real Deal or Big Dog or D-A-W-G. Yeah, D-A-W-G and As Kicker. And you see them broken down on the side of the road or stuck in a ditch somewhere. You sort of want to feel bad for them, but it's 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 like they almost brought this on themselves, right? Yeah. Okay. So fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, way to go, Michael Badgley, the money badger. You screwed your team, and you brought national attention, or at least my attention, to your horrific nickname. Now that we've lightened the mood a little bit, I feel like we can finally move into our week six preview. It's the Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. Time? It's 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, Monday. You know. Chris, taking place on a weekday, under the bright lights of the sun. You know, like all epic Monday football games. It's outrageous, egregious, preposterous. This whole situation is nonsense. There'll be the sun and then there'll be lights. Okay. I feel bad for people on the West. Not, I don't feel bad for people on the West Coast that have to watch it at 2 o'clock. You know what I feel bad for? I feel bad for people who work. Point blank and period. You're all going to shuffle your schedules around. We're all going to rush around. We're going to rush home. Well, I leave work at 2.30, so I'm fine. Of course you do. The whole thing is just shenanigans. It's I call shenanigans on all of this. <sighs> yeah. Well, we got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call. That's, It'll be on Fox. That's nationally. the weirdest thing, too. Yeah. Joe Buck and... When's the last time they did a Bills game? It's got to be... It has been a while. I don't ever remember him Would calling. they have been... No, because that was Monday Night Football the last time we played the Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. That was the That was on CBS... We got Romo and Nance. I don't know. It'll be fun to hear Joe Buck's voice and Troy Aikman. And the spread. After last night's debacle, the Buffalo Bills are getting three and a half points against the Kansas City Chiefs at home, which goes to tell you just about what the betting community thinks about the Buffalo Bills. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I've seen three and a half to four in some places. Seems about seems about right. I mean, I believe this will end up being a shootout, but... You don't know. The injuries to watch. For the Buffalo Bills, wide receiver John Brown in his calf. Cornerback Trey White in his back. I mean, Trey seemed like he was close to playing against the Titans and then didn't. They, they put him through the pregame workouts and decided to shut it down. Tyrell Dodson. He did come back, you said, at the end of last night's game. Yep. He, would, he went out briefly. I'd like to see him, if he's our only hope... But we hope not because linebacker Matt Milano, he's, they said he's week to week with a pec injury. Yep. Maybe he plays. Maybe not. I don't know. We're going to have to see. He was sad out this week. And then cornerback Josh Norman. He's not so much physically injured, but I feel like being turned into a meme overnight has to have injured your pride just a little bit. Oh, yeah. I'll have to, sh- <laughs> I'll have to show you one of the memes when we finish recording here oh my god and then on the kansas city side of the ball they don't have a long injury list but it's it's important they lost kalechi assembly they're one of their starting guards double knee injury how do you hurt both of your knees at the same time the closest thing i've ever seen to that he tore tendons in both knees i playing slow pitch softball hit a pop fly to the pitcher because you know 
Powerhouse. I'm a stud. <laughs> he somehow, in the act of coming off the mound, pulled both of his hamstrings, and he was done for the year. We went on to beat their team in the championship. But my point was, how do you pull both of these things at the same time? Somehow this guy, he did it. And it, it, it's, it's improbable. It's the only time I've heard of you doing two things, to so, two soft, soft tissue injuries on separate legs at the same time. That's the only time I've ever heard of this. He's out and their backups aren't that deep. Speaking of hamstrings, stop me if you've heard this one before, Bills Mafia. Wide receiver Sammy Watkins, hamstring injury, will not be available. What? My shocked face. Chris, he's the most durable wide receiver. Oh, no, wait. No, he's not. (laughs) And linebacker Anthony Hitchens. He left last week's game early with a hand injury, came back, injured it again late in the game. It'll be interesting to see if he can go because he is one of their starting linebackers. Now, Chris, we're not smart people. Nope, never been, never will be. No one wants to sit here and listen to us try to dissect this this monstrosity that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Nope, we need a highly intelligent football smart person. And that's why we have tonight's guest. Brett Coleman. I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a Lagavula. The film room. Take a sip. It's not smoky at all. YouTube.com slash Brett Coleman. Yeah, it's Lagavulla. Come on. That's not Lagavulla. <laughs> and Brett would know Lagavulla because he is a Scotchman. He's, he's very sophisticated, people. For those of you who don't know him, he is the ho- he's the creator of The Film Room on YouTube with Brett Coleman. He's the host of the Bootleg Football Podcast, and he's also a craft cocktail, cocktail connoisseur. He's a man of many talents, and Brett, we're super happy to hear you on, have you on the show here tonight. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. That, uh, that intro really never gets old. <laughs> I, this is the thing I always question. When I see, well, you know, I listen to your podcast, and every week you guys started off by talking about what you're drinking. And one of the things I noticed is that your drinks have increasingly become fancy. You know, at first it was, <laughs> at first it was, hey, here's a scotch I'm drinking. And you'd describe it a little bit, and you'd talk about its, you know, its flavor profile. And now all of a sudden you're, you're bringing up these complex sounding cocktails. I mean, you are indeed bougie, as you put it in your latest podcast. <laughs> you are bougie, sir. I hear you're making your own syrups, you're infusing things. Can you tell me, what is a penicillin? Oh, so penicillin um, was created back, I want to say it was like the mid-2000s uh, in New York City as kind of part of like the uh, the craft cocktail revival of the uh, the early millennia. And it's honey, it's ginger, it's lemon, it's scotch, and then it's eyeless scotch, super smoky, as our good buddy Ron Swanson said in the beginning of the show. Uh, and so it's kind of like a mix of it's like three quarter ounce lemon juice, and then you do another three quarter ounce. It's like half and half ginger syrup and honey syrup. And honey syrup is basically just you take a three to one ratio of hot water to honey. You basically water down honey a little bit, so it kind of emulsifies in the drink a little bit. Uh, two ounces of like a blended scotch. I personally like monkey shoulder. 
shake that over ice and then you strain that out into a glass, uh, drop in a nice big old ball rock in there, uh, and then top it with a floater Lafroy. <laughs> Folks, this is Brett Coleman. He's a complicated man. It's with, not that hard. He's a complicated <laughs> man with complicated drinks and intricate football opinions. So we're going to start with the offensive side of the football. I mean, that's the crux of the reason that we wanted to pick your brain about this, because Chris and I, we're not smart people. We're just not. So when we we know ourselves and we defer to people smarter than us, especially when it comes to sports. And the question is the Kansas City Chiefs. They are this complicated beast of a football team. I, I want to know a little bit more about the offense. I mean, this matchup is one that you yourself have talked about. Like you, We were talking about you potentially coming to Buffalo to see this game. Even This is pre-COVID. This is pre-schedule release. That's how much you thought this was going to be a, a really viable football game, right? Yeah, because I, I saw what the Bills were last season, and I was like, okay, well, this team's like two pieces away. And like they're already like a good team. They're two pieces away from being a great team. And then obviously after we talked about that, then they got those two pieces. They made the move for Diggs. Um, you know, they got even more D-line talent, which you know, <laughs> like the only thing they're really missing now is, I don't know, any warm body at corner that can play across from Trey White. But, you know, this was a game that we pinpointed even last season when we knew that the Bills and Chiefs were going to end up playing each other of like, okay, this, this is going to be – you know, a bar fight. And I, I really want to go to that. And unfortunately then, you know, the world stopped and, uh, that became no longer an option, but in, in a normal season, I would probably be doing this show live in your basement right now. Like I'd, I'd be oh, there right kitchen. now. Yeah. Kitchen. Kitchen. Wherever I'd give you, you some, are. I'd give you some cocktail <laughs> ice that I make. He, he would give you some cocktail ice. He makes his own craft ice. Well, he would have made that Buffalo dip. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken wing dip. I'll tell you. No. So this game it's an exciting one. I like the fact that a guy who has no skin in the game is this interested in this matchup and has been for a while because that kind of helps lay out for our listeners the fact that you you put some time and thought into this. So when we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the first place I want to start is their rushing attack. And what I'm going to play for our listeners is you. And what might have been my favorite part of the first round of this year's NFL draft (laughs) from your live stream reacting to the Chiefs' selection of running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire. No! Dude. Is that real? I don't know. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm pumped, man. CEH confirmed. There it is. They did it. They did it. Yeah, you and I talked about this. They just got one of the best football players in the draft. Oh, my God. It's See, all perfect, you, all though. all you guys that root for NFC teams, you don't understand. You don't understand what no. we're going to have to deal with. This is – dude, you've been dealing with the Patriots forever. Yeah. I hope this season gets canceled now. Fuck it. That's you from your uh, live stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe they let Clyde edwards go to Kansas City. <sighs> it just the, in my head, I heard that and I go, "Oh, this is something." Chris, Chris, you have to go get this. Yeah. Go get me this audio because <laughs> there's a conversation coming. So you're that high on Clyde edwards Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be? He was, in my opinion, it was kind of split between him and Jonathan Taylor for best running back in the class. 
uh, depending on the system. And obviously, he's a perfect fit for Kansas City's system. Uh, hell of a receiver. Great runner between the tackles, even despite his size. Doesn't have blazing speed, but uh, he does... He does everything that you want a three-down back to do. Didn't you call uh, him? Didn't you call him Brian Westbrook, but with better talent? Or was that Andy Reid? Yeah, I can't, uh, rem- I mean, I can't remember. Both, You're both smart. Uh, both, really. Like I, Andy said it, and I was like, "Yeah, he ain't wrong. <laughs> he's he's better, Brian Westbrook." Uh, I would say Buffalo's more equipped to handle him than most teams because you guys have Milano. But I don't even know if he's going to be playing this week. Well, and that's it. I mean, in, in we faced a pair of dynamic running backs in back-to-back weeks. I, you look at the results, the more physical approach of the Titans did some damage. And I think one of the things that you saw was that against the Raiders, we were able to pin, we were able to keep Josh Jacobs quiet. But because we had Matt Milano for a chunk of the game, because he was well, we were able to kind of hem in the short passing game at the same time. We didn't have to sell out or put an inferior talent out there who we knew could only, like Tyrell Dodson, he's he's a rookie, or at least essentially playing his first year of football. And he's doing okay, but you can tell that he's more run stopper than a guy you want playing weak side linebacker occupying space. He's, and let's be real, there's, I can probably count on my, like one hand, how many better will backers there are than Matt Milano, if that many. Exactly. So he's got huge shoes to fill. And so now they're tasked with stopping the top 10 rushing attack of the Kansas City Chiefs. I have a question, first and foremost, when I see that top 10 rushing, they're up there. What is it about the structure of their rushing attack with CEH that makes them so effective? They they do a really good job of making all of their runs look like passes and all of their passes look like runs. Uh, And a lot of that comes from the RPO game where honestly it's both at the same time. Like they run a lot of RPOs, but even when they're not actually running an RPO, they do a good job of making it look like an RPO just by formation, you know, kind of putting Kelsey out there in a reduced split, which like it makes a linebacker think twice about scraping over the top to fill the cutback lane. If Kelsey's kind of in the slot hanging over there, because in the back of your head, you're thinking RPO all the way and he's waiting for me to bite and they will hit those, but a lot of the times it's just designed runs out of that formation that make you think RPO, which makes you a step late, which then obviously, you know, Clyde, if you give him a little bit of space, he can punish you with it. Um, I I do think that they should get Clyde more involved as a receiver than he already has been just because he's a really special receiver, great route runner. Um, and I, I think if Milano doesn't play, I do think that they are going to emphasize that because I think the rest of the defense – Kind of the only real weaknesses I think they're going to have are uh, the number two corner, which I guess would be Levi Wallace. Uh, Levi Wallace may not be back. Josh Norman may be our guy. Josh Norman, the now famous Josh Norman. Memeable. So I, I would attack Norman or I would attack, uh, you know, whoever is playing for Milano if Milano doesn't play. I, like, I, why, why throw at Trey White when I can throw anywhere else, you know? Well, no, and that's what teams did last year. And that was my fear coming into this, was that you would find out that our number two cornerback isn't up to snuff. And last night we watched we watched Josh Norman. <laughs> he had one of the roughest games of his entire life. I'm not even talking NFL career. Because if you've made it this far, my guess is you were pretty good in high school. 
and you were probably pretty good in college. So the fact that he got worked, Chris, how many times did I call out? I was like, I think, I think he got a stop. He got a pass breakup on AJ Brown, and it might have been the only time he did. He had one or two good plays, but like he got burned on the touchdown. He didn't look back. Couple of penalties, and then obviously what happened with Derrick Henry. Well, and it was just that anytime they had Brown one on one with him, who I get it, Brown's a young, fast, physical receiver, but fast and physical, I, to to know that he can't hang with that type of speed, with that type of skill set, that's pretty damning. And then yeah. you, and when you think, hey, Levi Wallace isn't going to be there, so Josh Norman is probably our guy. That's scary as a Bills fan. And Levi, he got beat up a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, they would pretty much any any inside break. This was in the Miami game, I think it was. Any inside break would absolutely destroy him, whether it was Kisicki, uh Parker, uh, Preston Williams. Like, he cannot defend inside breaks at all. Well, he gets big boyed. He's, a, he's yeah. your quintessential zone corner. He's not able to put – if you ask him to play in space – Fill a lane, make a guy look covered, maybe break up a pass here and there. He's your guy. He's good at that. What he can't do is anything that requires physicality. And when you, I, I ran into him at the airport once. I'm not lying to you. He's only, a, he's not that much taller than me. He probably, he, he weighs more than he looks like he weighs. His legs are thin. His, he's small in the lower body. He's not a guy who you can expect to go out there and compete with anybody with an ounce of physicality. And it's shown up no. this season, and it, it really hurt us. So with that in mind, that scares me just from a standpoint of trying to stop this rushing attack. But now that we're getting into the wide receivers and the tight ends, I have a question. I know all the complicated things that they do. We know Casey is one of the most explosive offenses in football. They've got all the talent. They've got a quarterback. They've got wide receivers and tight ends. They can strike quick and they can get chunky yardage. Their scheme allows them to manipulate your safety groups and linebackers and open up big holes. I mean, they're second in the NFL right now in yards after the catch. For as much of that, you want to you want to say, hey, Michael Hardman's fast. Kelsey's a physical freak. Hill is fast. So much more of it is scheme that's just built to manipulate your defense. Now, I'm not going to lie. For our listeners, if you don't know this, then I don't know what the hell you're doing sitting here listening to this podcast because you don't watch the games. (laughs) No one likes Chris and I enough to sit through an hour of us without having... uh, No one wants to sit through this hour-long podcast and listen to us try to talk about the intricacies of the Kansas City Chiefs process. I don't even want to hear you talk about that. No. <laughs> no. So we have you here, and I want to talk to you about this, because for as good as they are and as as explosive as we know them to be, they've struggled. They've had a couple weeks of struggles now. I want to know, in your opinion, what's driving that? From one game to the next, you know, you saw them struggle against New England, and we talked a little bit with Mark Schofield about it during our AFC's Roundup podcast, about what they did to try to slow down the attack. But then you saw them come out and struggle against a Raiders team that Josh Allen and their offense just shredded. And I question, what it, what's the difference here from the Kansas City Chiefs that we know to what we've seen over the last few weeks? So there's a few different ways that you can attack Kansas City. You can either just play really, really good 
uh, match zone coverage and then have a, a great four-man rush. You know, that's what the Chargers did. You got Bosa, you got Ingram, you got Tillery. They were able to get pressure with four. Um, you know, they were able to win that matchup, uh, the one-on-one crucial matchup with Bosa and Schwartz. You know, Bosa was able to get a few key pressures in that game. Uh, and so you can either play very sound zone coverage on the back end, keep everything in front of you, and just, you know, let your front four go hunt. Or you can kind of play man coverage to a degree. Um, and we saw the Raiders do that sometimes. There was like a, a key uh, third and long where they got a breakup. And, uh, Ted Nguyen of The Athletic did a great breakdown of it where it's a, it's a cover one lurk call where, you know, you're showing cover one, you're showing man coverage across the board, but there's like a lurk safety. And like one of the, the best ways to attack that coverage is just running a deep cross because uh, deep crossing routes are really hard to cover in man coverage, especially when you have a quarterback like Mahomes that can leave the ball out in front. And so they used a lurk safety to then pick up the deep cross and take that away from a corner that didn't have a good leverage advantage while the corner then fell off and played a zone in the middle of the field to pick up the underneath crossing route, which is where Mahomes wanted to go with the ball. And so it's kind of playing man coverage quote unquote to a degree mixed with some uh you know match zone concepts and you're doing just enough deception to make Mahomes think twice um and then also you can do some things with the front four again you don't you don't really want to blitz him that much Baltimore made that mistake and he was making him pay because if you're taking defenders out of the secondary or out of the back seven period that just opens up voids in the field and Mahomes can punish that you don't really want to leave voids in the field if you want to get home with four, that's the best way to go. And so we've seen some defensive lines start to figure out what makes Pat uncomfortable in the pocket, how he likes to move in the pocket, where kind of his first instincts for escaping are. Uh, again, the Raiders, very well coached team. We saw Max Crosby get a sack that way where he just went behind Mahomes knowing that Mahomes was going to immediately escape out the front door and go to his right. And so as soon as Max got into his blind spot, he then spun out of it and got a sack behind Mahomes. So just kind of knowing and being able to predict where he's going to go based on how you fill certain rush lanes, um, especially knowing he likes to roll to his right a lot more than to his left. So if you give him that door, he's going to step through it, and then you just got to meet him there. Again, playing good sound zone coverage, or if you do play man coverage, having uh, at least one kind of free-roaming defender that can help guys out that have leverage disadvantages. Like, There's a lot to it that goes into stopping Kansas City, but the good thing is Buffalo does a lot of the things that have slowed down Kansas City. Their main problem is going to be if Kansas City is able to scheme up matchups with Norman or matchups with Levi or Taron Johnson. Keep in mind, Johnson, he's allowed more uh, yards this year than all but four other corners in the league. Don't so, like, even say I, we just got done just beating him to death. I mean, this guy, he's it's, – it's one of those things where you watch teams. We watch – I saw it in the Rams game is where I picked up on it. They would move Cooper Cup around – and they would kind of motion their guys and the way they would set up their plays. They were aiming at Teron Johnson. They're just like, okay, there's our mismatch. Let's go get this guy. Cooper Cup versus Teron Johnson. That's already a physical mismatch. And then when you know that he plays a little bit loose with his coverage. He's aggressive in run defense, which I like for a small guy. I like his presence in the box. But when you ask him to do the things that ultimately you want a high-level slot corner to do, he can't do it. Yeah, like on third and 19. 
last night he gave up a big one for yeah. a first down. And it's just, you watch these things happen and it's infuriating. And you realize that pass went to a guy who played his first NFL, like his first significant NFL action. And So s- there's only five corners in the league that have been targeted more than him. And that's Terrence Mitchell, Isaiah Oliver, Trevin Diggs, uh, Marlon Humphrey, and Shaq Griffin. Those are the only guys in the entirety of the NFL that have faced more passes than, than Johnson. None of them have given up as high a percentage of those targets as Johnson. He is statistically, I, I don't want to say he's been statistically the worst corner in the league, but if he's not, there's a very short list in front of him. That's And that scares me coming into a matchup like this because I see teams. I see New England hold them to zero touchdowns in the first half. 65% completion percentage, which for Mahomes is low. No wide receiver with a completion of more than 22 yards. Their zone defense held. And yet, I don't know that we can replicate that with the talent that we're going to try it out there, even if Trey White is healthy. Because we do have guys like Teron Johnson who just can't seem to carry their weight. And now the defense is forced to pick up the slack for them. If you were the Buffalo Bills, how would you attack this offense? If I was the Chiefs, how would I attack? No, if you were the Buffalo Bills and you're if you're a defensive coordinator, let's say let's say we leave Leslie Frazier in Nashville. And we <laughs> oh, hand you the headset. What would you do if you were the Buffalo Bills coordinator trying to get ready for this game? What would you do schematically? Uh, first, I would give Matt Milano the largest Toradol shot ever given to a human being before the game because I cannot win without him. I just can't do it. He needs to be the guy that is giving both inside leverage help to Johnson and Norman on every single pass play because they can't stop outside breaks or inside breaks. And he also needs to be Johnny on the spot against the run game, do what's called uh, slinging the fits where you're kind of lined up outside the tackle box and well kind of playing the pass. And then the second you read run, you just kind of crash into the B gap. Uh, and he's one of the few linebackers that I think can kind of make a living doing that and not be wrong most of the time or not be late most of the time. Again, he's he's one of the better linebackers in the league, but he's got to be on the field because this game is not, I don't want to say it's not winnable without him, but it, it's it's the, the, the percentage chance of winning goes severely down without him on the field because he's going to be the guy that keeps – Johnson from ruining the game. He's going to be the guy that keeps Norman from ruining the game. The safeties, again, got to be Johnny on the spot. They cannot miss a single assignment because we know the corners will, other than Trey. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, he needs to just be the run game destroyer. You know, I I don't know. I I don't know who they're going to have match up with Kelsey if they do go into man coverage because I kind of want Milano on Clyde. But at the same time, he's the only one that can probably cover Kelsey. I'll tell you what I don't want. Is is Edmonds anywhere in coverage? Going into the Titans game, he was giving up a hundred. He gave up a hundred percent of all of his targets. He's, yeah, he's having he's having one of those years where he's fighting the game of football. Yeah, and he's been he's been fine against the run, in my opinion. Um, but that being said, you know, Milano's the star, the straw that stirs the drink. There, you know, he's the one that that gets people lined up. He's the one that IDs a lot of stuff pre-snap and kind of lets people know what's coming. He makes a lot of big plays. He's good in coverage. Like I'm, I like Edmonds, um, but I think there's going to have to be like a choice to be made here pretty soon in the coming years between them. And I'm, I'm going Milano. 
So since we're talking defense, let's switch gears and talk about the defense of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, for as good as the Chiefs' offense has been the last few years, their defense usually takes a while to find its stride. They'll show up in the postseason, but in the regular season, the Chiefs over the last few years have been one of the NFL's worst units. And this year isn't much different. I mean, it's great when you can outscore your opponent on any given week, but the way the Bills have been racking up yardage here in the early part of 2020, it's difficult to see a world in which a the Titans played a very physical brand of defense, and our offensive coordinator had a plan that I don't, I still don't understand. I've watched it twice now. I've watched it twice. I don't know what he was trying to do. Coming up against a defense like the Chiefs, I don't know how the Bills don't at least have the horses to make it a close game. What about their, I mean, I look at their safety tandem. That's the first thing I see is Daniel Sorensen and Juan Thornhill. They're probably, I'd say, one of the more underrated safety tandems in the NFL. They're not out-and-out liabilities against the run, but their strengths are in coverage. They're kind of multifaceted guys who, if you look at Thornhill, Thornhill kind of has a nose for the ball. He can make some plays. And when you throw in Tyron Matthew, who, is he a floater between that role of safety and cornerback, or is that just me? He He's everything. You know, like they, they play a lot of, I guess you can call it three safety nickel with Sorensen and Thornhill and Matthew on the field because Matthew can also play slot corner. He can play mm-hmm. free safety. He can play straw. He, he does everything. So I just call it nickel because I don't really okay. know what, what to call him. Okay. Well, and that's what I'm looking at is I'm seeing these three guys. I'm saying they have some playmakers in their secondary. I mean, I, I think they represent the most talented safety combination that Josh Allen and Brian Dable have seen this uh, so far this season. And when you combine that with the premier pass rush talent that you guys have cultivated, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, your defense could be, or at least their defense could be one of the NFL's most potent. But when you look at the numbers, they're a top 10 pass defense, but they're in the basement against the run. And so I don't know what to do with that. I mean, we just watched the Bills flub their way against one of the NFL's worst running defenses, so I don't want to get cocky. I guess the question is, where do you see the Bills being able to make hay on the ground? That's my first question. The big thing is the Chiefs linebackers are not very good. You know, Willie Gay is still developing, and and he's gotten some snaps here and there, but the quote-unquote starters, Hitchens and Damian Wilson, are not very good. They don't have a lot of speed. They don't get off blocks well. Um, They're susceptible, I think, to misdirection. You know, that is the weakness of this Chiefs defense, in my opinion, it's been that way for a few years now. That's why they drafted Willie Gay in the first place, because he's an athletic freak that they want to mold into taking one of those guys' jobs sooner rather than later. So I think in terms of uh, making hay on the ground, I would almost take kind of a page out of the, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Sean McVay episode that I did about how he kind of exploited the Bills defense. Added a lot of pre-snap motion in there, motion at the snap, kind of separating uh, the linebackers from the defensive line, get them to flow opposite ways to open up that cutback lane. You know, clearly, you know, Milano was able to pick up on it and kind of make adjustments, and, and he and Edmonds were able to kind of fix that pretty quickly in the game, but not quickly enough before there was some damage done. 
but I don't see Wilson and Hitchens being able to adjust and also be able to make the plays as quickly as the Bills linebackers adjusted to the same stuff. So if you're running zone, uh, I want to see you know just some sweeps going the other way, kind of pull the defense apart, create those cutback lanes, you know, hand the ball off to Diggs on a sweep, um, you know, fake the sweep and then turn it into a screen out to the flat. Just kind of get get as much eye candy in there as humanly possible. And don't just let them come downhill with confidence. If you make them second guess, the, uh, second guess themselves by seeing a whole bunch of different looks that look similar, then they're going to be a step late, which is then going to open things up for Singletary or Moss or whoever's you know running for them this week. Like that, that to me is really what I want to see Dable do is just turn the motion up to eleven and just have have as much as it, uh, as much of it as possible. Chris, there was no pre-snap motion last night. No, I don't remember it. I think it's just hand the ball off to whoever's in the backfield. And, and run, run directly into the defensive tackles. Yeah. <sighs> Brett, if if Brian Dable does leave, can we just tab you as their offensive coordinator? Like, can we submit your podcast for approval to the Bills staff? I mean, we know a few guys. Only if you guys like losing a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least at least you know. You, you, you have the understanding. We the, should be used to it by now. <laughs> I know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, okay, here's here's what I want you guys to understand. You guys are four and one, and you're bitching like you're one and four. That's how I know you guys are true Bills fans, because <laughs> the sky is falling. No, no, no. See, listen, we're okay. We're okay. Brett, I wish you were over oh. at Drew's last night. I was drinking Did, hot toddies. Yeah, hot tot. No, it's the fact that you were, were like, the Bills need to renege on this extension we gave McDermott. It was not reneging no, no, on you, the extension. No, I said no. what they need to do is they need to understand this is the guy. No, you... Li- because well, I'm looking call- at Twitter and I'm watching Bills fans lose their shit about how I don't understand how this team is so unprepared. And I say to myself, this happens two or three times a year. We could call your <laughs> wife. She would agree with me. You were calling for that extension that we gave McDermott. Okay. Take it back. Okay. I might have invoked the name Dick Duran at one point, but that was just out of frustration. <laughs> but I, I do got to ask, though, uh, what's your hot toddy recipe? My, my hot toddy? I kind of stole it from you. I, I, t- I picked your brain last night, and so here's what I did. I made a little tea. I made some tea, and then I took the tea. I mixed it with some cider that had some caramel in it. I took a little whiskey, threw it in there, and then I put a little cinnamon in it because I didn't have a cinnamon stick, and then I a little bit of fresh lemon. How'd it come out? Oh my god, the caramel and the cider. It's a lot better. It, it was a lot better than the drinks your wife was making. Oh my god, my wife made four different cocktails and poured two of them out, and I drank them just because I wanted her to stop wasting whiskey. So <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was. I mean, you guys are. You guys are in prime leaf country up there. I mean, hot toddy is like the best fall drink you can have. Fall. Fall is the most hipster of every. Oh my god! Hey, I'm most... in California. We're in a desert. Okay. This I don't is get true. Fall. This is true. So you probably celebrate it. Our seasons are just hot and hotter. <laughs> See, Chris, I'm a fat guy who sweats. I wouldn't do well. See, I kind of. I used to live in Atlanta. I kind of get what he's talking about. Oh no! The hottest Bills game ever. Brett, the hottest Bills game of all time, on record. He and I are sitting there in the stands. I wore jeans. He's wearing jeans, sneakers, oh and he's got a t-shirt on, and he's just comfortable. He's uncomfortable, but he's not super uncomfortable. I've sweat through my undershirt, my jersey. I, I'm pretty much, I'm sweating so badly that when I put my elbows on my, my shorts, you can see the sweat marks from my legs. 
it soaked through my shorts. W- was this one of those like early September games? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was miserable. Against, it was against yeah. Denver. And I decided that in order to not sunburn my face, I was going to wear the Bills luchador mask. And so I'm oh, in no. the stands with this on and I'm shirtless. And at one point we go down into the tunnel and everyone's standing in line for water. They've run out of bottled water. They've run out of everything. We're getting tap water and styrofoam cups, and I'm letting children cut me because I'm just, I'm looking at their parents going, why are you bringing eight-year-olds to this? This is the gulag. This is, <laughs> this is like a death march. What are you people doing here? And some guy behind me goes, hey, if you, you let anyone else cut you, and I'm going to come up there and kick your ass. And I turned around, and I just yelled, I will come back there. I will drop my pants, and I'll hug you in front of all of these people. <laughs> and, so, and the guy literally just yelled, Gross! And walked away. <laughs> we, your your life out there on the West Coast, you can keep it. I can't deal with that's, that. That's that's what I call fighting hate with love, right there, my friend. Exactly. <laughs> so, when we're talking about the weak links in the Kansas City Chiefs secondary, I've done my homework. Statistically, in terms of yardage, the Chiefs team top ten unit going into Week Four, but the signs were there that trouble was brewing, and that. I don't know if it says more about their competition that they had success. All cornerbacks not named Matthew are currently giving up more than 87% of the passes thrown their way. At least six yards per target, and some of them are giving up as much as 13 yards per target. And the majority of the yardage given up by every cornerback has been air yardage. This isn't yak. We're not talking about guys getting open and uh, DB whiffing on a tackle. This is in the air. DB has a chance to provide good coverage, but he's so bad at it that the quarterback throws the football there and it gets caught. So it shouldn't have shocked anyone that Carr was able to find some success on him. I mean, he had rugs back. He had he had his guys. And he hit him for four passes of more than 40 yards. That Shaverius Ward, in particular, that cornerback, gave up touchdown completions of 59 yards and 72 yards. How equipped do you see the Buffalo Bills as being to attack this kind of porous pass defense of the Chiefs? Uh, to me, it kind of depends. Is John Brown playing? Do we know? We don't know. I think the we reason – I, I, I genuinely believe the reason they sat him to was play Monday to save him for this game. That makes sense because if he's on the field, that changes things because he's still got legit speed. Obviously, Diggs has legit speed. I really like what I've been seeing from Gabe Davis so far. That's a good one right there. Um, so to me, I would kind of honestly fight fire with fire and just do as much four verts as possible and put these safeties into stressful positions where they have to guard Diggs one-on-one down the field, uh, You know where they have to try to run with John Brown. Because as much as we love Tyron Matthew, he's not going to run with John Brown if John Brown's at full speed. There's very few safeties that can do that. So I want to put as much speed on one side of the field as I can you know, go into like a whole bunch of three by one. You could put Dawson Knox out there as like a nub. No, you can't. All the res- no, no, you can't. Not with his frying pan hands. That man. <laughs> no, you're not throwing it to him. You're not throwing it to him. You're, you're putting him out there just to ID man or zone. If there's a corner out there, you know it's zone. And if you know it's zone, that means you can run four verts and somebody has to cover him. They can't just leave him alone. Well, maybe they can. I don't know. It's not like he'll catch the ball anyway. But whatever. <laughs> you, somebody has to theoretically cover him, which means if you're running four verts, 
one of the safeties, whether it's Thornhill or Matthew, is going to have to pick up the number three. That's where I'm putting John Brown. I want to put him as the number three receiver on the strong side of the formation, run four verts, force the safety to run with him deep down the field. And obviously, Josh, he's just a big old bear. He'll sit in the pocket all day and just wait to throw it to him when he gets, when he gets the one-on-ones. So, again, just run – those deep shots as much as humanly possible. If you want to do it off play action, do it off play action. I don't give a shit. Just do it as much as possible. Isolate the safeties. And that's what the Raiders did. They, they got rugs on a deep post that way. You isolate these safeties. You force them to run with your speed because we know they can't. And threaten them. Throw the ball down the field. If you fail, you fail. But at least you go down swinging. Chris, you know the thing that we stopped doing against the Titans? We literally didn't take a deep attempt in the second or third quarter. That yeah. Game. It's it's frustrating. Because <laughs> it's not like they're going to double everybody down the field. Like, Thank you. There's there's going to be one-on-ones. <sighs> I, I think that the Bills... I mean, the line shifted after this loss. It did. Now the Bills are getting three and a half points at home, which means they don't think much of our chances. Your prediction as to how this thing goes down. Uh, Listen, you don't have to be favorable. It totally depends on injuries because if Milano is playing, if Brown is playing, if the line is healthy, yeah, give me the bills. If the injuries are still a problem, come practice reports on Friday, um, that would that would worry me. That would definitely worry me. So I'll say. If Mulatto and Brown play, give me at minimum the Bills on points, but I would still favor them to win. To win, excuse me. Uh, if Mulatto and Brown do not play, give me Kansas City. If only Mulatto plays and not Brown, <sighs> still give me Buffalo. And if only Brown plays and not Mulatto, give me Kansas City. Wow. All right, sir. Well, you've educated all of us here tonight. To cocktails, you're talking to us about craft booze, you've informed us about football. Where can people follow more of your insights out there in the interwebs? So you can find me anywhere, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, at Brett Colman. That's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. Uh, or if you go on YouTube, type in The Film Room. Uh, well, there's a lot of shows named The Film Room now that are not run by me, but I'm assuming I'll pop up somewhere near the top. Or if you just type in uh, Bill O'Brien, I'm sure <laughs> me... Uh, me, my video recently, it's like 20, 25 minutes long, <laughs> will pop up towards the top of that. And you can watch me uh, just get hammered and rant about how Bill O'Brien destroyed my team for a half an hour. And that brings us to this week's Keys to Victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. <sighs> I had something here, Chris, about pressure in the A-gap. And all about how terrible their interior offensive line is. But I'll tell you what. After watching last night's performance, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter because I don't think they can get it done. Pressure in the A-gap would be nice. I have paragraphs written with data about things I researched. <sighs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because I don't think our team can do it. So I move on to deep passing early. Brian Dable, through the first quarter of the season, did a, he put on a master class of how to throw the ball down the field well, orchestrate a deep passing attack, and last night, he, he quit on it. Well, he's never been able to do that in the third. He's never, but he quit on it for the second and third period, which infuriates me. Yes. 
You know what else infuriates me? You referring it to as the second and third period. We're not watching hockey. This is football. They're quarters. It's your fault. You were Get talking it, about Novotny. <laughs> this defense has illustrated that they are susceptible to strikes down the field through the air. We need to lean on that throughout the course of the game and allow our rushing attack to get going. Loosen up those safeties. When you can do that, you can get things moving. One matchup I'm interested in, John Brown against Shavarius Ward and Rashad Fenton, given how poor they've fared trying to cover down the field. Those are the D-backs of the Kansas City Chiefs. We have enough weapons that they should be able to dial up some plays to get Brown some favorable matchups. And while their attention is focused on Diggs, Brown could be the X factor in our offense. Chris, I have a chart. Passes 10 and 20 yards. Between 10 and 20 yards between their defense has allowed. Week two to Justin Herbert. Six passes, three completions, no touchdowns. Week three, Jackson. Six passes, three completions, one touchdown. Week four against Brian Hoyer. You know, that powerhouse of a quarterback. Four passes, two completions. Week five, Derek Carr, four passes, two completions, one touchdown. Chris, every quarterback they've played so far this season has been able to it has been able to work the deep middle of the field. The exact place that a guy like Brown working in concert with Beasley and Davis could punish this team for lapses in coverage by mediocre DBs and linebackers who aren't very good. That needs to be a staple of the Buffalo Bills come Monday. It has to be. Otherwise, we don't have a shot in this game. And I know, Chris, I talked about pressure in the A-gap and how I don't think it's going to happen. I still don't. But the other key that I have for this Get your fucking heads in the game. Without this, nothing else matters. We just watched the Buffalo Bills sleepwalk through four quarters of an NFL football game. That cannot happen for a single quarter. Not one. Not if you're going to have a shot at this. You don't see this team being able to what? Fall asleep for a half of football and then somehow beat the Chiefs? No, you can't do that against Kansas City. Unacceptable. You can't do that. No. How quickly would they rattle off points if you do? Yeah, we'd look like Houston. <laughs> this, will be, yeah, this will be last year's Kansas City versus Houston postseason game all over again. If this team shows up with the energy that they showed up with last night, I need to see some motivation from our defensive coordinator to change the pattern of failure that's plagued our coverage unit so far. I need to see a commitment to an attack that makes sense from an offensive coordinator. I need to see players look like they give a shit and that they're engaged, excited, and ready to play at kickoff rather than looking like they almost wish they were somewhere else at the time. Which I get it. It's Tennessee. You probably did want to be somewhere else. At the end of the day, it's going to take an energized player. It's going to take energized players and coaches who are willing to take what they've been doing on both sides of the ball and throw some of it away. Dial up a fresh plan. Without that, we have no hope. Because if the Bills continue to give us the status quo, they will not win this football game. Chris, your prediction. I almost think it's going to be like that Monday night game from a couple years ago. Two years Seahawks? Ago. No, close. Two years ago, Kansas City and Los Angeles. I think this is going to be a real high-scoring game. Okay. 
I think I think the Chiefs, because they're the Chiefs, will pull this one out. I'm going to say it's going to be 41 to 38, Kansas City. Kansas City hasn't scored more than 30 points in weeks. Weeks. Yeah. Not just one, not just two, but weeks. Yeah, so they'll start on Monday. We finally differ. Seagram's bet. This, you honestly, we're going to beat the Chiefs. I can't bet against him. I can't bet against Are me. they the new Patriots? I can't bet against McDermott without give. I got to give him the benefit of the doubt somewhere, right? Yeah. He's given me no evidence. We talked about it ad nauseum. He's given me no evidence to doubt him as a coach who will work tirelessly behind the scenes to right the ship when they when they finally say enough is enough. When he publicly comes out and says, this needs to change, things move, don't they? I think you see a more robust defense from the Buffalo Bills that you've seen all year. I think that the injuries to the offensive line and the loss of Sammy Watkins change their attack enough that your secondary... If your coach is willing to get creative, your secondary can mix things up with these guys. You have talented safeties. You have better safeties than they have. Get in there. Make it a dirty game. Make it a fist fight. I don't think either team scores more than 20. Uh, I shouldn't say 20. More than, you're talking more than 30? I said it would be (laughs) 41-38. It would be high scoring. So you think the over is going to be over 80? Yeah. This will be a high-scoring affair. Wow. All right. Here's what I'll say. The Buffalo Bills pull this thing out. It's going to be less than a touchdown. But I have to I have to believe. If I think that this team is good, which I do, and I think that this team has a good coach, which I do, and I think that their staff is adequate, which I do, then I have to believe that they're going to take the last few, what's happened in the last 24 hours, spend the next five days actually tearing it down and trying to rebuild it the way that they've done in the past. And they're going to give us a better effort on Monday. I think the Bills come out of this thing with a win. Seagram's been on it. I can't wait to see it. Huge shout out to Brett Coleman for taking time out of his busy schedule to come visit us. You know, there's one thing that we should touch on to close the show. What's that? Because I, I saw it on Facebook today. Oh, boy. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook nope, today. Nope, probably didn't. Because, I, you know, I, I have a job where I work. So do I. But three, three, three years ago today. Wow, the Reaper Wing Challenge at three, Wise Guys Pizzeria. Three years ago today. Huge shout out to Wise Guys. Listen, they're our official pizzeria. Every week we get our food from Wise Guys here in South Buffalo, right on Seneca Street. WiseGuysBuffalo.com. That picture, Chris. If that picture, that picture tell, that, that, when they say a picture is worth a thousand words, you could write a thousand words about that photo. I think the best part about this night was. Jay's in a Jay not I mean Jay at the time did not know you as a person and then <laughs> as you were beating it it was oh shit this guy's gonna win the challenge he's gonna win he, he ate reaper wings here's a couple of bucks to one of his co-workers go over to tops and get this man like a half gallon of milk 
and then he's he gonna ma- need it. And then he gave me a whole pizza for the road because he was just like, "You, you're gonna need some stuff after all of that comes out." And I was like, "No, I'm not gonna puke, Chris." Like, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. I should I should have puked. Is what yeah. I should have done. Yeah, well, I know. I should say, if anybody knows... Tweet of- that picture out right now. At Rock Power Report, folks. Go to our Twitter feed and look for it. It's me looking to the sky wondering, how the hell did I get here? Yeah, and I would say, if any of you know of local wing challenges... Bring them on. Yeah. We'll Let's do, do it. it. We- I already have the t-shirt from the Vontae Davis wing yeah, challenge. Yeah, you beat the Vontae Davis. You've beaten the Wise Guys one. You know, if you guys know of any wing challenges, let us know. And then we'll contact the place and we'll do something live like we've always done. Chris, this has been a lot of fun tonight. I'm excited about this week's game. I'm not even filled with dread. I'm excited to see what happens. And with that in mind, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. Huge thank you to Brett Coleman. And this has been your Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.